You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 23. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and other stuff. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net and follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And today we're talking about encapsulation. So a little bit of back to basics. And back to school. Back to school. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to mention uh, briefly some podcast news. Uh, first off, big thanks. Uh, we got three reviews and since last episode, so we really appreciate that. Wanted to give a shout out to uh, Ferngee001, Matt Shea, and Balzac D. Really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Uh, also, um, really exciting news this week. Uh, the .NET Core CLR is now open source and on <laughs> GitHub. So this is a big step. We knew it was coming, but it's still exciting to see. And I think it's interesting that it's on GitHub. But my favorite part of this, actually, someone pointed out on Reddit, is um, the there's an actual <laughs> single class for the, the garbage compiler. And there's actually there's a lot of classes for it. But there's one big one that's kind of hard to miss called gc.cpp. And if you look at this file, it's thousands of lines long. Actually, if you browse to it in GitHub, it's got a message there saying this file has been truncated. Click here to get the full view. So uh, if you ever want to know how a, a garbage compiler works, uh, you can just go take a look at gc.cpp. Nice. Uh, another thing that happened is in the past couple of weeks, we ended up going to, actually, myself and Outlaw went to an ECMA 6 meetup. <coughs> Way to they- call me out. Well, you were supposed to go, but you had important things to do, apparently. So, um, but yeah, they were talking about all the new features that you know will be coming out in ECMA six. God knows when. Um, but it was pretty interesting what, stuff. What was your favorite feature? Um, I like promises a lot, but I mean a lot of the a lot of the things that I already like are available in a number of other libraries already. This just kind of boils or bakes it into browsers so that you don't have to have all these additional libraries. I'm a big fan of promises, but there there were some other cool things. But yeah, we got classes, we got some new <coughs> operators, um, things like that. Uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to uh, you know in 15 years from now all the browsers will support it, so I'll be able to use these features in 15 years. 15 dream on, <laughs> yeah, 20? exactly. Oh, and it's worth noting, didn't they skip five or or wait, uh, no, they skipped one of them. Was uh, it four? Yeah, it was four. They skipped First four. Four. Yeah, so I mean they're having a hard time getting all these together, but um, yeah, it was it was a really interesting meetup, and there was also uh, while he doesn't want us to reveal him yet. There was a guy there that did a presentation on some uh, UI uh, testing framework that he put together that's pretty outstanding. So hopefully he'll I have I can't wait until we can talk about it. I know. I, it was actually one of the better, one of the coolest things I've seen in a presentation in a long, long time. It was pretty amazing stuff. So hopefully here in the near future, he will give us our ble- uh, his blessing so that we can speak about it on the podcast. So Way to tease it. Yep. Yeah. Are you guys just messing with me or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was it was quite awesome. I wish he didn't mind us talking about it because I really wanted to. I was really looking forward to it. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe the next episode, I'll, I'll get in touch with him and see, uh, see what we can do. If he's changed his mind. Yeah, maybe. And, Have you changed uh, your mind yet? Isn't there a preprocessor for uh, JavaScript 6 so you can kind of do some of the stuff today and it just compiles it down to, to JavaScript 5? Yeah, there was oh, yeah, a there Google was a, project, right? Well, there was the transpiler that you mm-hmm. can use for like that. 6 to 5 or something like that. We'll yep. have a link to it. Yep. Yeah, the, the one thing that they did say about that, though, was it doesn't make pretty code by any stretch of right. the imagination. He said it's one of those things that you don't really want to have to support what's been transpiled. <clears throat> but it is there, so... Yeah. Yeah, and uh so we also tried an Angular JS meetup and I don't know why. I, I you know, I'm giving up on the Angular meetups. If only someone I'm would done. do like a good Angular presentation. I, I, I don't it, it maybe it's just me. I'm done. No, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the ones that we've gone to, the people that have done the presentations, they've been really keen on it, right? Like they you could tell that they're really passionate about it. Yes. And it just doesn't come across well for some reason. I, I don't They are super excited about it. They love the topic. You could tell that they n- know it inside and out, but 
the presentation, trying to explain it to somebody else is just not there for me. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. Next so, thing though, what about resolutions? On that note, yeah. How are you guys' uh, New Year's resolutions going? All right. So uh, I'll start seeing as how we just kind of led with that. Um, I actually started putting together like a little presentation <laughs> that I'm going to potentially try and do at a meetup here in the near future. That is Angular JS. So. Great. Now I'm gonna have to go to this one. Yeah, we'll and see. I'm gonna have to bash him. You guys I'll, will be my test, my I'll, my test dummies. I'll I'll, I'll yeah. just say it right there to his face. I'll yeah, fair slam. enough. Yep. So uh, I'm working on that right now. Hopefully, I, I mean, so I have been working towards one of my New Year's resolutions, and that's the only one I remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's mine. Nice. <laughs> what about you, Jerry? Remember? <laughs> so I was doing really good uh, exploring functional programming until someone stole my book. <laughs> I left it in uh, like a doctor's waiting room, and I came back and it was gone. Well, I kept I kept bashing on the Angular meetup, hoping that I could get you to like, bash on JavaScript, and apparently it failed. Nope. Yeah, I'm doing good on all my resolutions. Uh, <laughs> I'm also uh, trying to get in touch with my UI side, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean HTML. Um, so I've actually been working on a little game that maybe someday, possibly, I can publish. Um, I don't know. I doubt it. But I'm, but I'm working on it. Very cool. What about you, Ella? Where you at? Um, yeah, n- nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Social's been terrible. You don't seem too broken up about this. Um, yeah. No, I mean, like, deep inside, there's a lot of, uh, you know, upset. But, you know. What's your rank on Call of Duty? <clears throat> You know, it's up there, but that's different. That's, that's different. kind of social, right? <clears throat> that's no, family time. No, not really, because uh, the way, like, I see. So, so actually, actually, I'm glad you mentioned it because this is a great, a great way to sum up how I feel about like all the social platforms. Because like, you take your, your gaming consoles, like Xbox, for example, right? And on Xbox Live, you could plug in, use a microphone, headphones, and and listen to other people and chat with other people. Oh no. I don't care to hear what you have to say, so I just don't even bother to plug it in because I don't like I random people on the internet that I'm going to play Call of Duty with. I don't care. Like, what am I going to say? Like, oh, he's behind the air conditioning unit. Oh no, the, the things he's that people say on it are terrible. There. Yeah, no, oh, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you know, can't have your kids in the room. Basically, no. I, I'm I'm so horrible when it comes to like any kind of digital social environment. I'm just like whatever. Okay, so you failed on all yours. All right, yeah, cool. pretty much. Yeah. All right, so, so, but don't give up on me. <clears throat> right. <laughs> all right, so uh, it's a work in progress. So, encapsulation. Let's talk about it. Like, what is it, and why does it matter? I, it sounds like uh, the process that the medicine manufacturers go through. To I was going to say a pharmacy. <laughs> get, yeah, get that little stuff in those little cool pills. All right. It's, it's the process of making the medicine. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, there's probably people out there that don't even really know what it is, right? Like, I mean, it's it's basically bundling your stuff up so that it only affects its own little scope and so that people don't have access to everything that you do, right? I mean, simply, that's that's mostly what it is. Well, I make everything public anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my question. I didn't put this in the notes because I wanted to kind of surprise you guys, but why do you wear clothes? Because I get cold sometimes. I'll tell you why I usually <laughs> wear clothes. So <laughs> I like how he said usually. When I'm interacting like, with people. Wait, what? You know, and, and they want to know, like, let's say he's getting around lunch time. They want to know if, I'm, if I want to go to lunch. They could ask me if I want to go to lunch. Or if I weren't wearing any clothes, they could look at my stomach and figure out if it's distended or not and make some sort of judgment on uh, based on, upon that. But I don't want that, right? I don't want people looking at my, my bare stomach. To, to make decisions about it without actually, you know, going through the proper channels that I prefer. And so, <laughs> you guys just look still. I thought you'd be laughing. Uh, I'm, so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, like, no, like, we're both just staring I thought at this it right was now. Be funny. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are imagining me naked. <laughs> so, so, we got a review from Balzac. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, the analogy is pretty good. I mean, really, what it is is what do you want people to see that they can actually interact with? Right? Yeah, these are the things I want you guys to interact with. So keep it up here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Eyes up top. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it, it's funny because I mean, there there is the question: Couldn't you just make everything public? Yeah, you could. 
but that doesn't necessarily protect you, and it will really just confuse people who come behind you. So what does public even mean? Okay, so so can we like maybe boil it down into like a simple def- definition of it's the uh, the internal representation of an object? So encapsulation is the process of hiding internal implementation of your behavior and and data. Yeah, and data, and only exposing the behaviors and properties that you want other people to interact with, i.e., the abstraction. Sorry, my dog's barking. Is that another euphemism? <laughs> no, no entendres. <laughs> Double. So entendre. when we say something is public, we're talking about the things that are exposed. These are the things that I'm letting people who use my library know. Like these are the things that you're supposed to do. This is how you use my functionality. Okay. Yep. You disagree? No, I said okay. Why? Why? <laughs> Alan's the one that's just kind of looking at us like, uh, nah. I, I'm in full agreement. I think I think we're all a little taken aback by the, the dog. We're like, <laughs> yeah. Are we about to get mugged? Yeah, my dog's <laughs> going, going crazy up upstairs. there. Sorry, guys. So the opposite of public is private. Then these are things that can only be seen by the members of the class that I'm in. So whereas public is available to anyone that links my my um library private is only available to the things that can see it in that particular class yep well there goes your adam and eve uh, analogy yeah no, none of that so w- like what would an example be of like a, a method that you guys would usually you know have a private for an example method that i would have a private for <laughs> so that's an awkward question <laughs> like what's an example of a private method uh so the constructor <laughs> Alright, so that. so moving on to the next question. Bring my boy Singleton into it. Yeah. No, nah, it's so I mean anytime you want to you don't want people to be concerned about the details of what's happening, right? Uh, or you have variables that that need to be set. So like if you have getters and setters and all that on your class, usually you back that with a private variable because you don't want people outside well, auto properties in C sharp, but you want, you don't want people who may be using your, your library, your assembly to have access to that underlying variable. You want them to use your getter and setter. So that if there's any special logic that's going on behind the scenes, they don't see that. They don't need to know about it. You know, they don't need to know what your storage mechanism is. So that's why you use your private variables there. And then you've got your in-betweeners too, right? So you have protected, Okay, so, um, what is well, yeah, what is protected? So protected is basically anything that is in that particular class or is a um, inherited. It, it's a subclass of it can use and access that same variable. So my children can access my protected me- my protected members. Correct. It's and like protected to the family. It's like you know the Godfather. Yeah, well, so, only my direct siblings, no cousins. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And so in .NET, that's basically anything in your assembly that is, you know, or not actually, uh, let me take that back, that's wrong. Anything that inherits from that, so even if it's outside that assembly, if you if you extend that particular class, it will have access to the or protected struct. members or struct. So yep. that's and that's the same in both C sharp and in Java. And that's a really important point. You know, it's kind of funny in that way, in that you know it can talk to things outside of your assembly, whereas um, some of the other ones we're about to talk to can't. Even so, even though you normally think of them as being more, you know, more open, you actually uh, can't directly interact with them. Yeah. So, so going from the top down, let's let's just circle back. Public is the most open. Yep. Anything can do anything with it, basically, right? Then yep. your next level down is your protected. Anything that inherits from a, a class that has protected members, those can all interact with those protected variables. And then going down to the next one, what we got from there? Well, it depends on what language you're talking about. So, so let's go with C Sharp first. All right, C Sharp first, and then we're talking about internal. So internal means that People and or people, you can tell how I think about code. Uh, classes inside of my assembly, so like my DLL or my EXE, um, those can talk to my class, but nothing outside. And there's a star on that nothing, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I know it's getting a little confusing, but C Sharp has this notion of internal, and Java does not. Well, kind of. 
and that's and that's what is a little hairy there is right. you call it out explicitly in c sharp but in java you just don't put a uh, uh, a modifier on whatever the the variable or the method is if you leave it blank then it's assumed to be internal package. yeah well yeah it's not quite internal because <clears throat> package is a little bit different so package is basically the namespace so for c sharp we say something is internal that means anyone in the DLL can mm. access it regardless of namespace. And the namespace could be totally different if you're a jerk who doesn't follow the file structure naming convention. But not so with Java. <laughs> and I actually much prefer Java's package implementation here. Okay. Whoa. Interesting take on that. Yeah. It's not many things, but that's one of them. And so, so now we've Breaking gone... Breaking news. So yeah. we've gone from public to protected to internal or not. Yeah, and this is the, the weird case we were talking about where internal, I would normally think of being you know, much more open than protected, right? Because anyone, you know, tons of classes can inter interact with my internal class as long as it's in my assembly. However, protected items actually can leak out in, inside of other assemblies because of this notion, you know, if you can... Uh, inherit from your class, you can access those protected. So it's kind of interesting. Yep. And then the the step down from that was the private, which we started off with earlier, which hides your implementation from anything outside your direct class. So even things that inherit from it cannot touch that private variable. So, so that's the best one. That's that is the one that hides the most implementation. So we talked about a little while ago briefly with your analogy of you know wearing clothes. The whole purpose behind this entire thing is, and it's really, I mean, people who program APIs that they expose to other users through a DLL or through some sort of package for Java, those people have to be really concerned about it because you don't necessarily want to expose your implementation of code. So you're going to be a little bit more careful about whether you make something public or whether you make something protected or private, because that's probably also how a lot of security leaks can, can happen as well is letting people leak in and be able to get hold of how you do things like whether it's file storage or, you know, I don't know, but that's the whole reason encapsulation really the, the main purpose of it. But then also I, we didn't even mention it in the show notes. Let's talk about global variables. It, because that's like the entire. Do we have to? That's yeah. like the anti-encapsulation, right? Oh, this is a JavaScript discussion. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it in in.net too. Yeah. Hey, because we all probably started out that way, right? Like when you first start writing a program, you're like, "Man, I have this counter, and I need everything to be able to see this counter." And and of course, your easiest way is, well, I'm just gonna make this parent object have this property. It is that easy. It, yeah. Yeah. And so, so what's bad about that? Anybody? Come on. Like everything? Like, well, I mean, <laughs> where do I start? Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, having, having like, no, you shouldn't just have some piece of data out there that everything under the sun could access and modify. But why not? Right, right. Let's, let's, I mean. I know one reason is it's completely not reusable. So you can't take this thing out of, outside of the context of its entire application and, and uh, use it with any other application. But besides that, you can't even reuse it a lot of times within your application because it's not properly scoped. And so, you know, this works great if you're doing a dead, simple app. And as soon as you start trying to do anything um, or any sort of maintenance on the application afterwards, then you're going to quickly be eating it. Well, that's where the big problem is, is when you have a global variable, something goes wrong. Where did it go wrong from? Like everything has, has you know, God rights to it. What messed it up? And, and how are you going to find it now? Like tracing back through this thing, you, ha you have all these methods out there that are modifying this one counter and all of a sudden the, the counter gets zeroed out and you have no idea why. Yeah, you don't know where it happened. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really difficult. So encapsulation is not only f so, that, so that you can protect the, the application so that you can guarantee certain entries and exit points to it. I like that better than the security analogy you made. Well, security can be a lot of things can happen with protecting your data, but not necessarily like from the security point. But um, you know, guaranteeing certain entries and exits. But then also, I think probably more importantly, and I saw this on one of the plural site videos that I was going through. I really like the idea that when you program and you keep encapsulation in mind, you help pave a way so that the person that comes after you, they have they have a really good map of what they have available to them. Oh, the pit right. of success. 
<laughs> so it, it's I, it's like a good roadmap, right? Like this is stuff that you shouldn't worry about over here, but these are the things that you can do. If you want to use my class, you can call, you know, read this, get this, do this. But all these like underlying implementation details, you don't need to know about that. Yeah, so, and for the most part, I'm I'm working on something. I'm delivering a system, not a big collection of tools. So, you know, if, if I go and buy a house, I don't want a big pile of wood and screws and bolts and doorknobs. You know, I want a house with a door and windows and, you know, other things like that. And this stuff only makes sense when it's put together. Yep. And that's that's actually a really good analogy. So And it's much more usable. <laughs> yeah, it is. So we're still walking down this tree of uh, access modifiers. I didn't hear anyone talk about protected internal. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that one. Yeah. It's like the little bastard stepchild. Yeah. That's, you can explain that one. Nope. I don't want to. <laughs> that one should be just what it sounds like, right? Anything that it inherits from it, but is in the same assembly. Right. So it, it kind of solves the problem of the, uh, the, the protectors. Or from a derived out. class in another assembly. From what? a derived class in another assembly. So it almost begs the question, like, okay, well, how is it different than... than protected. So... so I think I'm not a I'm I don't care to understand protected internal. I think what it is though is it's like internal for everything that's in that DLL. But if you're if something inherits from it, then it's protected for that. I think right. Mm. If it's internal, I thought no, it was stuck yeah, in the it's, assembly. it's like we said it originally. So the type remember can be accessed by any code in the assembly in which is declared or from decide. From a derived class in another assembly. That's what I just said. Which is oh, what protected is. I see. Is. So it's internal to mine or protected to yours. Right. That's what I said. So they should name so it within internal the as- protected. Within the assembly, internal. within the assembly, right. it's internal. But for anything that that derives from it, it's protected. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, you know, like if you're going back to, I guess it was Alan's point. Like, if you're actually taking the time to create an API, then you know this might be important to you. But I look at that and I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I, I'm generally more often than not, I'm not writing uh, classes where that is where I need to worry about that. Thank you. So yeah, I'm actually- I, I, I like to keep it. I like the state of the kiss principle, right? You know, just keep it simple, stupid, and protected internal to me is like you know, more complication than, than I feel is necessary sometimes. But if you think that that's bad enough, we talked about this one once before in the, uh, pour some sugar on me episode, uh, with one of the new features coming out in the C sharp six, which is per- private protected. What? No, I don't even remember what it was anymore. I looked this up like 10 minutes ago. And I don't remember. <laughs> so, uh, it's only the derived types within the current assembly. I, you know, I, I that that's another one that I feel like like if you go and Google that, they're like one of the top results was okay. uh, it's an abomination. Yeah, this is the one. <laughs> and I, was... I kind of feel like that that's true because going back to my Kiss principle of like keeping it simple, this is another one of those scenarios where it's like okay, here's here's a, some additional complication that, that maybe if you're like you know if you're writing the .NET you know. Uh, framework, then maybe this is an important one to you, but f- I'm going to venture to say that for like 99% of the applications out there, you're not going to care. Right, and, and and this is actually the one that I thought we were talking about earlier, but the name's so confusing, where it's basically it's only protected for things that you are your in your assembly, which is weird because it doesn't even have the internal word in there, so it's just right. a weird one. Don't use this, guys. All right, so what yeah, about... So it's private elsewhere. So if you inherit from it, but you're not in the assembly, then it's private to you. But if you're inside of that assembly and you inherit from that class, you can see then it. it's protected and you have access to it. Mm. So both of these are like just... And even internal protected is is more... It's less restrictive than internal. Right. Uh, it's very strange. <laughs> don't, yeah. use, don't use any of these. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the main ones that you want to be concerned with are your public, your protected, your internal or blank for Java... And you're private. Those are so blank. <laughs> well, I, man, I can't write. Just type wait. in blank. I'm going to write some blank Java. Right. Yeah. <laughs> fill um, in the blank. Hey, but we have one more modifier keyword. Actually, two if we want to. If we want to count. Are crossing. you filling the blank now? Is this what we're yeah. doing? Can you fill in the blank? The modifier keywords. Yes. Sealed. I know. I know. Joe is a big fan of this because he's bitten me with this a few times <laughs> in the past. Yeah. So I'm I'm a fan of sealed only because uh, some smart people told me that I should be. So I'm going to have a hard time explaining why you should do this, but basically it boils down to, got a great quote from Josh Block here who said, 
you should design for inheritance or prohibited. And what I think he meant there is basically if you are intending for your object, you know, to be a parent class and for it to have many children that do interesting things, then awesome and document it and do it that way. Set up some template template methods and awesome. However, if you're not planning on doing that, then why aren't you sailing it? And the idea there is that, you know, you may want to change this class. You might want to do things different internally. And if you're not locking this stuff down, then people might come to rely on it when they shouldn't. And it, it's basically just a an example of of uh, encapsulation where... So if, is it another way of saying that this class can't be trusted because I might not be done with it? Well, not necessarily <laughs> trusted, but it's like... Um, and not even that I may not be done with it. It's just like you just can't inherit from it. Yeah, you're like you guys can deal with my public interface, but I don't want you overriding and doing weird things all with right, it because right. so it's I got not a better really example for you. that. I got I got a better right. I got a better example for the use of sealed. I'm gonna bring it back to my boy Singleton. Oh, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to inherit a singleton, right? No, ever. there can only be the one. So singletons should be sealed. Yeah, basically, if it's a leaf <laughs> node of some sort, it should be sealed. That, that, I mean, if you don't ever plan on anything ever being a child of yours, <laughs> seal it. <laughs> be yep. done with it. Sounds like a Guns N' Roses song. It might be. Um, yeah, so this is another one of those things that were, like, aside from the, the singleton uh, you know, use for it, though, like, more often than not, I, maybe I'm just, I kind of view it as, like, being egotistical because I'm not, like, yeah, no one will ever need, this class is perfect the way it is. Mm. I'm sealing it. You can't touch it. <laughs> well, I just imagine like it this. It feels so, very egotistical. I've just, got a class and it's got a, like a, we'll say a protected method uh, or protected array, right? And I've got a couple children that interact with it. And maybe Why you would go, you make anything protected if you're going to seal it? Well, no, because I have children, right? So I've got children that I want to be able to use. And um, so, I, you know, I can't seal it, but I can seal those children. And what this does is it prevents people from outside the assembly from inheriting from this public class or, you know, I'm saying but they can in, they can inherit from that base that the children all inherit from. Uh, if it's if it's public, I'm saying you can make the children public, but the parent internal. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So it, and what it does is it prevents people from extending that and then doing something based on this protected array. And the next version comes out, and I've switched to a list, not really thinking about it because my code compiles and it should be fine. And now it's going to be breaking these third party DLLs that are interacting with it. And just to be clear, in Java, the equivalent is final. Mm. So if if you're in that realm, then these We're same sorry. type rules apply. <laughs> so um, that's that's all the the nuts and bolts, basically. Did one want to mention that star that we mentioned? So there is one big caveat to that internal, and that is friendly assemblies. So .NET gives you the ability to say. You know, internal, only people from this assembly can talk to my internals. But I also like that guy. But yeah, I'm friends with this guy. We're cool. So it can also access my internals. It's kind of like, okay, only people that live in my house can watch my TV and change my TV. But you know what? My neighbor over there, we're really good friends. So if he wants to walk on over here and change my channel, he's more than welcome to do it. So this is a little weird, but my favorite example of this is basically testing. And there's a whole big argument there about whether or not you should be... um, testing you know unit testing internals because it doesn't really make sense but sometimes it's really easy to test internals so what you do is basically like if you've got some sort of method that talks to a database or something you might write a function that takes extra arguments that kind of allow you to kind of skip that database step in order to test something and you keep it internal so that no one else outside sees it and you're friendly with your test framework so it lets you get around some of those dependencies and at, at that point you're basically cheating and so that there's this whole big argument around that but it's useful and i don't recommend it but i do it <laughs> so yeah that's that there was another interesting scenario that came out with friendly uh, but with but I can't remember what it is now. It, maybe it'll come to me in a minute. So moving along those lines with encapsulation, and maybe I'll, I'll remember what he was thinking about. There was a thing called the command query separation that was in that same plural site video, which I found really interesting. So going back to the point that I made about encapsulation is also so that programmers that come later or people that are going to use the code that you've written, whether it's in an API or they're going to be in your code base later, they should be able to look at your method signatures and know roughly what it does. 
without having to read through the code because we've all done it, right? Like you get into somebody else's code, you see this method signature and you're like, okay, what, what in the world is it doing? Like it'll say that it's returning out a string and you're like, well, what string am I getting back from this thing? And then you end up reading out through the code. Well, if it's only 30 lines of code, maybe you figure it out pretty quick. If it's 200 lines of code, you're going through all these if else's, you have no idea what's coming out of that. So the whole idea behind this command query separation is commands have a void return type and they're mutators. They're modifying your application in some way. So your class are setting some variables or changing something. They're mutators. If it's a query, then it has a return type and your method signature should tell you enough about what you're going to get back from this thing. So if it's something like get file name, you know, then you know that you're getting a file name, right? Like your, your naming of that method should give it to you. And because it has a return type of a string, you know that you're getting the name of a file back. So it was a really interesting concept in that it, the way that this guy put it is, you know, for programmers that suck, they'll be able to work with it. Well, and that's and then that's he, harsh. He did. He was harsh, but then he said, "But hold on, let's Tough let's love. just let's take it." A, he said, "Not necessarily that they suck, but that they're they're ignorant to what was really going on there." You want to make this easy for people when they come in. You want to be able to look at it and see what happens. So, the interesting thing about that, and I guess having worked in JavaScript for a long time and dealing with a lot of these things, typically when you call something, you get something back almost every single time, right? whether it's a DOM element or whether it's some object or whatever, you could be calling set something and you're or still, NAN. yeah, you, you'll get something back, right? Even if it seems like it's completely Undefined. garbage, but the, there's something really elegant about if you follow this and, and it's definitely a, a design choice that you have to make up front and people have to follow it. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything, right? Like if half the time they use this where they're using void, and then the other half of the time they don't, well, then nobody will be able to look at it and, and figure it out either because they're going to be like, did they do it this time or did they not? Right. So but it seems more like just a good practice more than anything to do specifically with encapsulation. Though. No, but that's the it whole just seems point. seems like a good, a good, like uh, a good pattern to follow. Is what it is saying. a good pattern, but it, it <clears throat> embraces encapsulation, like the whole idea behind it, because you're only exposing methods that people can work with. You're hiding all the internal implementation, but when you do this now, you name your things and you have return types that but are consistent. But we're talking about the abstraction. It is the abstraction, but otherwise it wouldn't even matter because everything would be public and then you'd have no idea either, right? So this is a good practice on top of encapsulation because if you made everything public, you would have no idea what you needed to do, right? Like, So let's say that to read something from the file system, you know that you need to get a handle on a file, you know that you need to open a stream, you need to do all this kind of stuff, right? Well, let's say that in your one main call that you do, you pass in a file name and it knows to go get the, the handle on the file and go do all this stuff, right? Well, the way that you might do that through encapsulation is you might have some private methods out there that would go go get the file stream for you and they would do these other things. Well, if you made all those public, you wouldn't necessarily know in what order you needed to oh, go yeah, do that stuff. Oh, yeah, you type the period, and it'd be like a list of 50 things. You're like, oh, my God, I just want to open a file. Right. So that's the whole point. That Like, what he was getting at is, so encapsulation is the technical pieces we talked about previously with the privates, the publics, all that. But that's not even all that important if you don't make your your programming easily readable from other programmers who follow. Yeah, I get it. I, and I like it. I, I'm not arguing with that. What and it is a good practice. What percentage of code do you think is null checking? Like, why aren't there good studies on this stuff? Like, I really wonder. I thought like, there was because we talked about the six billion dollar problem. I thought they'd already like, oh, yeah. you know, but I haven't seen like you know, quantified it. I would like to see a percentage by language of how much you know, how many lines are wasted, how many, you know, how much time is my eyeball spinning looking at null checks? Well, if you're doing aspect oriented programming, it could be a lot less. It's true. Uh, there are ways around this. I guess you'd have your aspects do the uh, null checking for you. Man, that seems like a well. I guess if you're if it's like <laughs> doing aisle weaving, code. yeah. But that's yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, anything that reduces code, I guess, would do that, right? Yeah. But <laughs> so going into that, one of the things with this command query separation that that kind of came out of there was one of the problems is like if you get a string back, is it null or is it not? Like you have to do all this null checking. Because that was another thing. Like a lot of people would look at a method, they see that hey, it returns a string. String dot is null or empty. 
Oh, God. All over uh, the place. Yeah, everywhere. String dot is null or white space. Yeah. Why didn't they make it the same command? Why is this? Why are they separate? Man, it, it's so crazy. And we've all done this, right? Like we see a method. We're like, okay, I need that method. It's returning back a string. You start using it. All of a sudden, it blows up on you because it got a null. And you're like, oh, come on, man. I didn't I didn't know this. And so one of the things that he that he ran through that I thought was brilliant and I'd never really even spent that much time thinking about before was the way that you typically do it is the way that we just said. You started using a method, it broke on you, and then the next, what do you do next? If this is null, do this. If it's yeah. not null, do this, right? Bug fixed. Yeah, exactly. And then you move on. And then now you have that everywhere in all your classes, in all your files. You're like, hmm, I wonder why that was null. Oh, well. Yep. So moving on. Um, Sweep it under the rug. So then it looks like, you know, Microsoft in, I don't know, maybe Java, they did something like this. They did what was called the try read or the try parse type thing. And you've seen it, right? Like int.try parse. And basically you have an out variable that will try and set that variable. And that way it avoids this null stuff. You know, if, if it was null or if it can't be converted, then it's just going to give you some sort of default value. If it's integer, it might be zero. You know, and so that's kind of an ugly way of doing it. You have to set up your variables beforehand. And it's not really pretty. In C sharp five, you have to set them up ahead of time. C sharp six got that nice syntax for declaring the variable inside that method. <laughs> so Boom. we're just hiding more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still doing all the same work. Just uh, gets down from uh, from two lines to one. So there was this thing that this guy brought up that I thought was just brilliant, and whether or not I, I don't know, I might actually start using this because it was really sweet. So instead of doing this, he said, let's go about this the object-oriented way. And let's do a maybe of T. And for those of you who don't know what of T is, that's basically type. You can, you can well, use... Well, we're talking about generics. Generics in .NET. And I'm, I know Java has generics as well. I don't know how their, um, their syntax is. Well, but, generics is old. I mean, it it's, predates C Sharp. But I don't know what their syntax is, is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So like in, in .NET, you'd have, you know, maybe um, less than, capital T, greater than. That's just kind of the standard way of going about it. But then what they were saying is, if you do a maybe of T, then you could say, hey, the return type is going to be maybe of string, we'll say. And then what you have is an implementation that when you call this method, instead of it returning a null, if it doesn't have the string to give you back, it will return you an empty list of string. And so when you say maybe of T, you'll either get back an empty list of string or you'll get back a list that has one string in it. And then what you can do in .NET, which I just thought was gorgeous, is you could basically say, all right, call that method .default if empty. And then you can pass in what you want that default to be if it didn't have a value and then say dot single. And then that way it returns you one result every time. It's guaranteed to be not null. You can default it to what you want it to be. And now you have a nice OO approach to not having to deal with nulls anymore. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, null object pattern that we talked about a couple episodes back. Well, why not just do single or default? Uh, you might be able to. Doesn't single to default return the default for that type, not necessarily the default that you specify? Mm, that's a good question. Come on, Everybody Google. goes to check the manuals. <laughs> but it was it was a really cool way of thinking about it. Instead of fighting all these nulls that happen, if everybody decided to take that pattern and use when they're creating their own methods, instead of having you know uh, you know uh, string my file name and then method you'd have maybe of string you know get mm -hmm. file method and then that way you're always guaranteed that you get back something that won't be broken which yep. is just gorgeous and you can always make a method that basically does that you know single or default that takes an additional parameter do an extension method and uh add usings all over your code and there you go <laughs> so Really cool stuff. We'll have a link in the references to that as well in the show notes. But um, it was a Our really neat take default. on it. But Sorry, I, I got caught on the other. Yeah, I think it's the same deal where it, it, it returns the default for that type, which for the is type. null for reference types, and it could be a zero or a false yeah, or whatever. Right. You're right. So really cool thing. Uh, we might even put a little snippet up on the show notes so you see what we're talking about. It was uh, pretty cool. 
Where did you find that? Was that the plural site video? It was on the plural site video. It was actually in. I'm surprised we didn't hit this before. It was in uh, Solid and Encapsulation, I believe, was the name of the course. So uh, again, we'll have the link down there. It was it was pretty excellent. I was playing Call of Duty while I was watching that video. <laughs> you missed a little bit. Speaking of calling, so if if you are a fan of the show, we would totally appreciate if you haven't already. Go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you prefer to, to download your podcast. Leave us a review, a rating. We, we greatly appreciate it. And and tell a friend or three, you know, share the show with them. Let them know. You Maybe they might uh, get something from it, too, and, and find some value in it, too. So Or, you know, it gives you guys something to discuss, like, you know, how much we don't know, uh, you know, when you're at lunch. <laughs> and, and to make it easy on you, we've actually created – a link that you could go to instead of having to go into iTunes and search for us or wherever, just go to www.codingblocks.net slash review. And that will give you the option to be able to click something. If you want to go to iTunes, fine. If you want to go to Stitcher, Hey, if there's another uh, podcast directory that comes up in the future, it'll go there too. So um, just go to www.codingblocks.net slash review. That's a great idea. So, uh, all right, moving on. So, the most important thing is encapsulation in JavaScript because we're all JavaScript monkeys now. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> so let's wow, talk about wow. this. So anybody want to start? No, because <laughs> yeah, JavaScript. I don't, so I, I wanted to recap real quick. So C Sharp, Java, most kind of you know, awesome. sane languages have this notion of things like <laughs> public, protected. Compiling. You know, internal. <laughs> private and so these really fine-grained controls but javascript doesn't have that right in fact everything is global by default so it's very very public and there's some some ways you can get around that i'm not going to say hacks because it's, for all the singleton haters you know, there's a 15. lot of javascript singletons there are and so um yeah i lost my place because i scrolled in notes but basically <laughs> the idea is that there are ways to work around it we're going to talk about some of those ways right now okay but but first i gotta call you out didn't you say you're getting ready to pick up a ruby yes, hey so. you just said something about compilers <laughs> you know i don't believe that's a part of that there's universe a, there's, a, there's a there's a good time for a scripty language every now and then you know right. and like ruby does pearl, have uh my, you know a pearl my 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 bash scripts, you know, what's wrong with Ruby? Why you got a dog on Ruby? <laughs> I was just saying, you, you compile. So, anyways, uh, Ruby does have accessibility types, so it doesn't have semicolons though, or optional semicolons. Anyway, optional, right? Yeah, digress. <laughs> All right, so the greatest hide and go seek player ever, the semicolon. So uh, let's talk about JavaScript encapsulation, and probably the most important keyword in JavaScript is var. Yeah. Right, if if you don't use var in front of your variable, no matter where you put it, it is basically global at that point in time. And that's terrible for JavaScript because, first of all, no one's ever using a single JavaScript library. There's always like ten, and and it's any single website, right? And so these, if these guys, none of these guys use var, they'd all be clobbering each other. Yeah, and it's that's why it, I just prefix my variables with JZ. <laughs> 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 the Jay Z library, <laughs> yep. But it it sounds like a like an oxymoron to talk about encapsulation in JavaScript because you know when you talk about encapsulation, you think like classes, mm-hmm. right? Or, I mean, at least I do. Or you think about hiding. It's not necessarily classes. Yeah, I was gonna say you got namespaces, you got variables, you not got all JavaScript. Kind of stuff. JavaScript doesn't have namespaces. Even Objective C doesn't have proper namespaces, right? That's why everything's like NS string and crap. Yeah, <laughs> crap. <laughs> emphasis on the crap. <laughs> So, so the way that you do this, I'm pretty the, sure that somebody should make a type caught in its stringing crap. <laughs> so the way you do this in JavaScript, there's actually a few different ways, and and obviously it's a pretty vast language as far as how they do things to get around certain things. So we're going to talk about a few of these. First, it uses prototypical inheritance. So if you want to create some sort of like class instantiator, like you can in a true OOA language like Java or C sharp, you can basically create a function and let's call it person, right? Function person, you pass in first name and last name inside that function. You can have this dot, uh, first name equal, whatever you passed in and this dot last name equal, whatever you passed in at that point, you actually have encapsulation. You have member variables if you knew it up. So after you define that, you can basically say, uh, 
var outlaw equal new person pass in Michael and then outlaw. And now you have this person object that has its own member variables. So it has encapsulation. Kind the, of. The problem it's kind is of an accident, though it's not. It's not a private variable. Well, I mean, the fact it's that not you just private. started off it's by unreachable. saying prototypical inheritance. All right, but it's accidentally unreachable. Well, it, no, it is reachable, and that's actually where I was going to say it's kind of encapsulation because yeah, because it's fully reachable. Everything is. No, it's not, and that's where things oh. get a little bit different. So, you know, watch me. I'm going to pop over the developer tools. I'll take the object. <laughs> I'm just going to overwrite it in my console. Yeah. No, so you can in some I'll of that. I'll just change the prototype. But that's where you can do some crazy stuff using closures in JavaScript. So when you new up that object, instead of doing what I just said, where you set this dot first name equal whatever you pass it in, this dot last name, you can have a var in there, right? Or you could just use those. Now what you do is you create these internal methods inside that. So inside your person thing, you're going to say get first name, Right this dot get first name equal function and then you're going to return a variable that was pointing to first name up there and because it's a closure so now we're dealing with function pointers all the place i mean this is and this the, is what you got to do to get private private and, and, but, but, and that's my point like it's so it 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 feels like javascript like there's so many ways in which we went we took a step backwards in order to go forwards but it's different it right feels like. it's prototypical inheritance as opposed to classical inheritance in in a regular o language so you get the good with the bad. It is I, until ECMA six, and then they're bringing in classes. So, yeah, that, that's that's going to. And be then you have both prototypical inheritance and classical inheritance. But, and then that'll be a lot of fun. Then you'll just go to TypeScript, right, and say screw it all, or CoffeeScript. Oh, but that doesn't have types, right? And, uh, not static, it. not static types. All right. So, anyways, um, so you can get around that by doing closures inside of inside of objects or methods or whatever. And all a closure really says is if you define a variable, so let's say inside that person thing, you define a variable using var, right? Then you have a method that's defined down below it, like get name, right? Inside there, you can reference that first name var, even though it was never defined inside that other method. And that's what a closure does. An internal method has access to variables that were defined at the same scope level that it is, or maybe even further up the chain. I'd have to check on that, but but that's how you can hide variables. So instead of setting a this dot property, you now have you know access to these variables that, that you can never look at in Chrome. Like you can't go to the Chrome Inspector tools and see these variables anymore. They don't exist. So here's 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 what you want to do if you want to learn to program, right? So you, you pick a language like maybe you picked C or C plus plus or Java or there C sharp. All right, fair enough. You know, and then and you learn a lot of good practices. You learn a lot of good techniques, right? You learn, there's a lot of good in all of those languages that you will learn, right? And the, and I I say those languages just because like those are kind of the big four, right? Then you move over to JavaScript, and you're going to throw all of that out the window because everything is messed up when it comes to JavaScript, right? Like it's like, oh no no no, it's totally different. Yeah, no, just because you didn't declare it in here in this scope, yeah, but you could totally get to it, and uh, you know. I know that like I don't want you to access this, but technically you can. Yep. And so it's really hard for JavaScript programmers to wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> We've come full circle. Yeah. Hey, hey, we laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, Told y'all it was good. But here's the here's the thing, though, right? Well, you're you're playing the uh, long play there. There is a reason why people. The, why JavaScript is blowing up, though. You have Node. You have all these things out there now. It's easy, right? Yeah, it's actually surprising. I, I like Okay, so I find it surprising that it's as popular as it is, considering how different. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you, you, can, you can break the rules and go against the norms, you know, just because, ah, yeah, I can't even... It's fairly it easy. And not necessarily you're going to do it in a great way. But I mean, you can make things work without a have, lot of headache. But that's why you have to have a book called JavaScript, The Good Parts, because there's uh, like all these bad things that you could do. Uh, I disagree. Well, when's the last time you did equal, 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 null in JavaScript? Is if object, whatever. Yeah, you do iffy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Truthy. All right. Oh, okay, so so moving on to the next part, and I think actually the last part on JavaScript with, with what we're talking about as far as encapsulation is you should avoid global variables. And there's plenty of reasons out there. Just 
just yeah. major reasons yeah, not to do Yeah, because anything it. that you want to name that global variable, there's already a JavaScript framework that's using that name that's going to overwrite precisely, what you to pick. Precisely. So let's take jQuery, for example. They decided they were going to take the dollar sign, right? Well, so has every other framework on the planet. Now. So if you mix the two then basically you've got all kinds of collisions. Things are overriding each other. And you would say, well, how else would you do it? I mean, I got to have it there somewhere. Well, the way that you go jQuery about it. That's how you should do it with jQuery. Like if it's you're going to have a framework, too. they have a compatibility mode. But there's these things called iffies, I-I-F-E's. And there's other names for them too, and I can't remember what they are. But all it is is an immediately invoked function expression. And essentially what you do is you wrap a function in parentheses, and then you immediately execute it at the very end. So it's like an anonymous function that you execute right now. Right. That's exactly what so, it is. So, so, and oh, it yeah. has no so, scope. So it's it's you inside of your parentheses, you declare the function. Yep. And then outside of that last, outside of that closing parentheses, that you then have an immediate opening, opening and closing parentheses, parentheses and correct. a semicolon, so that you execute what was in the first set of parentheses. That's correct. And I then, don't even know that you mind need the parentheses. Blown. I think you can do it right after the curly braces. I don't recommend it. I'm, I don't think right you now. can. I don't I don't think you can. But either which way, that basically sets it up to where now you can you can execute this JavaScript that has no particular scope. There's no variable existing around. Now I don't know how you would do something like that with jQuery, because you, you need to call that framework all the time to do things. But like let's say that you have form validation on the page. The old school way of doing it was you would say function validate form and then have your implementation. Well, if you have some other file that's including a JavaScript that has that same thing in there, you just blew away that validation thing. So instead of doing that, you would have this iffy function that would attach itself to the form and then maybe say on submit, then run this particular function that would be inside a closure essentially. And now you have no global conflict with a name. So, it's encapsulation in JavaScript is easier, but at the same time, it is so counterintuitive for people that are used to a traditional OO type background. And uh, most people don't do it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like you see global variables everywhere. Or if you miss a variable, oh dear God. Yeah. Work in a big framework, like I don't know, tons of them. And forget to var something, whether it's Angular or EXDJS or something like that. Forget to var something and see if it just doesn't jack up your entire day. Yeah. Man, I, I had something today where like I, I copied a line from one place and pasted it somewhere else, which is already a bad sign. But uh, I didn't realize that I was missing a variable that needed, you know, it was expecting. And it like it still worked somehow. <laughs> I'm like, what? What was it? But it turned out it was because the variable I named was uh, was called window, which is built into JavaScript as a global. Yep. And so it was doing stuff to my window, and it like <laughs> kind of worked. So whatever. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's I guess that's the one thing about JavaScript that really is frustrating is a lot of times it'll continue to do something. <laughs> it's just not what you think it should be doing, right? And you don't usually find out about it until much later, and you're like, oh, that's actually a really big problem. Yeah. So I feel like the C-sharp compiler is like, hey, can't do that, can't do that, can't do, can't do that. And JavaScript's like, it's more of like the apologize later, but it's like, hey, what'd you expect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean, while we talk about JavaScript, it can't help but make me want to bash on IE for a moment. Oh, but man. then, but then I'm trying. I'm really trying not to. So then I was like, "Well, okay." So there is the new uh, Spartan, new Spartan version coming out. So maybe, maybe it'll be okay. Yeah, and just yesterday I was thinking, like, man, the, why aren't there more browsers?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like Opera kind of died out a little bit, man. We need to spice it up. Uh, <laughs> man, Safari is right up there. <laughs> Dude, I don't know, though. I will say this. I used to have a real love relationship with Chrome. I get that off-snap display way more yeah, I mean, total than tangent, what I can deal with. A total tangent, and I'm sorry, but when did Chrome start sucking? It has mm. definitely, like... I, as soon as it started winning. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's definitely gotten bad. Yeah, I have a lot of problems with it myself. You know, you know there's something wrong when your browser has to have its own task manager. <laughs> that's not a good sign yeah yeah i mean i i see that off snap window 
I don't know how many times a day, and it's like, really, come on. But I still love it for for debugging though. Yeah. Uh, Firefox with uh, Firebug, Firebug is doesn't hold a outstanding compared nah, to Chrome. It depends on what you're doing. There's some stuff that's nicer, but Firefox is so much slower. Man, try and open up your Gmail in Firefox. Firefox has a much smaller footprint. Try and open up Gmail in Firefox. And Firefox, speaking of ECMA 6, is ahead. It is. It's beating everybody, which was interesting. Um, so in the standards compliance department, they're uh, yeah. leading the pack. Yeah, if they would just uh, so do more better standards with their speed. compliant, smaller memory footprint, slower performance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're uh, not uh, they're not backed by a, an advertising company, which is nice actually. That's one of the reasons why I use it. Yep. So we do have one more section I wanted to talk about, and uh, this kind of refers back to an older episode that we had where we talked a little bit about um, dependency injection and inversion of control, and we want to talk about how that conflicts with uh, everything we just talked about encapsulation. So the idea with inversion of control and dependency injection is that you have um, you, you're kind of getting away from things like constructors and, um, you know, even uh, like internal variables. And um, I mean, that's not the right word. Anyway, you, and you're, what you're doing is you're exposing properties for your dependencies. And then something else comes along and kind of fills those dependencies. And what it, that means in practice is that you end up having classes that have properties for things that you require. And that means that when you initialize that object, you've got to you've got to know to set those properties, or else things aren't going to work right. And so, literally, what I just defined there, it's I'm saying that someone else needs to know enough about your internal state to know what's required for you to function properly, which is completely anti the whole point of encapsulation. And so, we've got some some interesting links on about that, and uh, including one where it's a Stack Overflow question. Where um, the uh, the man Eric Lipper himself uh, does a pretty big smack dizzle in just a few sentences, and so uh, actually, the uh, actually wanted to uh, bring up the article here because he he starts out saying that uh, basically DI is a bad idea, and it just goes on from there, which is a, a pretty big smackdown for something that's kind of you know so hot right now. So what do you guys think about that? Which part of it? The, the DI smackdown? Uh, either one. I, I know when, I, when I'm when i doing stuff with dependency injection or if I'm even programming in a way that where I'm kind of manually inserting um, those dependencies, that it feels a little dirty. You know, I'm creating properties for things like file systems or databases or whatever, and my caller is responsible for filling those in, and it's, it's totally the opposite of something like a singleton or something that knows how to kind of take care of itself. I'm basically, you know, putting this class's... Um, life and functionality in the hands of someone else. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's a good point. Yeah, so you ever like new up a class and you try to use it and it's like, oh, blew up, didn't have something. You're like, oh, I guess I need to set this property. And you try it again and it blows up and you're like, I guess I need to set this property too. And you don't have any insight as to what's happening inside that method, but it's relying on these things to be there that just aren't there. Yeah, not going too far down the dependency injection hole, the one thing that I do find that is somewhat for me because i like performance i've always been a fan of performance you have to have newed up objects of everything if you're doing dependency injection it news it up if it doesn't use it or not it's still creating it and so you have space on the on the heap already being used up even if it's never going to be touched that's a different argument from what we're talking about with encapsulation but it's i think what you just said is it's definitely something that would give you pause to using it is now the user has full control as opposed to the person who developed the particular, yep. you know, method or class or whatever. Yeah. And so usually it would take care of something like that. So if I wasn't working with DI, I would basically have a constructor that took in the arguments that I needed to, to make sure everything is good. And so it's pretty obvious, you know, what I need to do my job. But if those things are just public properties, you know, they appear to be optional, then uh, yeah, that's a problem. It's, you know, pretty much the opposite of encapsulation. Looks like I'll be doing some reading. It's like you're having your organs on the outside of your body. <laughs> huh. Yeah, every time, you know, whenever it gets into the differences between dependency injection and inversion of control, though, there's a bit of a mind melt there because there there's some similarities in, like, principle, but <clears throat> they serve different tasks and they they do different things. And in some ways, you could think of the inversion of control as uh, uh, maybe kind of. Is do you think it would be considered similar to like the template pattern that we talked about, like with the uh, 
the Hollywood principle. It's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. I so, mean, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, yeah, like I said, it, every time, whenever we get into those topics, I always have to like go back and read another book on it. And, you know, somebody's dissertation out of college on like, you know, the values of it and, and how like, uh, the Fowler and Martin came up with it. I, 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 what, what was that conversation like where they're like, Hey, listen, man. So I got this idea I've been working on. Okay. Like, what was that conversation like? I, I, the guy's way over my head. Yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to bring that up. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. I feel like an idiot now. More, (laughs) more reading to do. So one more thing I got to study. All right. So now it is actually time to get into the tips of the week. Oop. Wait, we're going to skip over the resources? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. That's that's totally wrong. Let's go to the other one. <laughs> so, the resource. So, the first one I mentioned was the uh, the plural site. It's uh, Encapsulation was Solid by Mark C. Mann. We'll have links to all these in the show notes. <laughs> yep. Uh, also, I wanted to mention the book uh, CLR for, via C Sharp Edition, which is where I first read about um, internal seals. And it's got a great section on encapsulation and all the different um, flavors. Yep, and then there was one other one on Mozilla, which they've got a really good developer section, and this is on inheritance for JavaScript. That's what you get for dogging on Firefox. Now you're going to have to... I use Firefox. It's just slow compared to Chrome. Now you're going to have to give up some love for Mozilla with a Firefox link. Hey, man. I use Firefox. too. It's just slow. (laughs) Go Rust. I mean, Rust rocks. I wonder how many people out there even know what you're talking about. (laughs) If you hang on Hacker News long enough, uh, you're going to get a complex and think that everyone's working with this sort of stuff when they're not. <laughs> and then I think uh, Jay-Z. Yeah, I meant to put this in the notes So or in the news. Uh, I want to say thanks for the LinkedIn invites. We mentioned that on the last show, and we actually got some uh, invites, so it's really cool. So, uh, yeah, hit us up, and <laughs> we will totally endorse you. Yeah, if you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yo, we, we get a little Ponzi scheme going on here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like you friend me, I friend you, we endorse, you know, everyone wins. Uh, Yeah. Actually, if you go to www.codingblocks.net slash about though, you'll have links to all our LinkedIn's there. So if you do want to friend us, there's the way. And you can force outlaw to be social. I'm pretty sure that's a bad idea. I don't think that's what I feel like I just broke the law or something. I think you did. The the LinkedIn police are coming for you. I'm feeling kind of dirty right now. Yeah. All All right. right. So let's get into the tips of the week. So here's a, a neat little uh, site that I found that I happened to stumble upon called caniuse.com. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but this is related to code, okay? So let's <laughs> we, say- we, we didn't find out lost sitting on the side of the street <laughs> with a needle hanging out of his heart. I guess he can use <laughs> So, so let's say, uh, it's it's a, it's a great site, great resource, you know, to, to put in your toolbox there. So if you want to, it could be a JavaScript function and you want to see like, Hey, which, which browsers support this, uh, this function, right. Or this API. So like maybe like a, a a file API and, uh, you know, you can see, well, not in IE eight or nine, but everything else is pretty much green except for opera mini, right. And Android kind of gets a little fuzzy, right? Like maybe it's partially supported. So, um, you know, that's an example. There's HTML5, there's CSS, there's SVG. There's, you know, a whole slew of different uh, things that you could use this for to find out, like, hey, does this whatever feature work across all the browsers? Can I use .com? Very nice. You have to provide your own needles, though. <laughs> awesome. So uh, I wanted to call out a library. Uh, I mentioned that I was making a little game for fun. Um, and the library I'm using that uh, totally got me past all the crap I was wrestling with forever is Rogue Sharp. It's an MIT licensed C-Sharp library, and there's a really awesome tutorial that will basically get you up and running with a little game uh, that is very similar to the old ASCII game Rogue. So uh, you should check it out. Yeah, we actually saw it running. It's, it's for real. Yeah. All right, so my tip. and this, this Oh, so I got another tip here. So, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, wait, is that because I did that last time? No, I'm not going to steal your tip. I was just joking. Whatever. All right. So, uh, this is all because my Mac really hated me recently. I uh, trying to run boot camp. If you ever go into your add remove programs in Windows, 
and you click on a program to remove it and there is no uninstall button. All you have is change or repair and you really want to uninstall it, you can do it. But you have to go into your registry because apparently that's where all this is controlled. So you can go to a particular key and then go down into the registry and high key local user. It's H key -key local machine, but I'll actually have a link to it, but you can literally, if there is something that you want to get off your machine because you need it off your machine, there's a way to do it. And it's through a registry update and it's very simple, fairly safe. (laughs) And I will (laughs) imagine you're like, Oh God, my boss is going to see this. <laughs> Dude, I, I had to get boot camp. The boot camp drivers that were on there were old and wrong and not working, and it would not let me uninstall them. And so I was able to get in there, change the registry key, uninstall it, put the new ones on. Life was dandy. So you know, Anytime the tip of the week involves reg edit, <laughs> Man, I'm pretty sure. It felt so good. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> it felt so good. So that's mine. <laughs> All right, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's show summary. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> reading off the notes here. <laughs> it's I late. Thinking, I was thinking about something awesome. I'm gonna tell you about. Uh, <laughs> take that. So uh, this what week we talked. Is that we talked about encapsulation, uh, different types in different languages. You start Java, JavaScript, and we also talked about different issues between, uh, or, you know, just some static between encapsulation and DI. So injection so hope you got something out of it and let us know what you think yeah and so with that uh you know like we've said before uh subscribe to us on itunes and stitcher be sure to leave us a review um you know you could use your favorite podcast app you know itunes or stitcher or wherever you prefer to get your content and as alan mentioned before uh he's made a friendly little uh, place for you to go to codingblocks.net slash review However, I do have a question about that, though, because that 404 for me. Are you sure that's the right URL? You're not supposed to do that. I'm going to have it ready by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> yeah, because that totally, that that URL is the most awesome URL. It will return back the best 200 you've ever had. And we all know All the 200s. Saying you're going to do something on the podcast is the best way to ensure that it gets done. This is totally like... Ease up off me. So, so I've actually... <laughs> slash link Alan's way. <laughs> Hey, I've already created the page. I just haven't created the uh, the pretty um, link or whatever to mm-hmm. it. So, so, so yeah. slash review. Thanks. Codingblocks.net <laughs> slash review. That's the, it's the most beautiful 200 you'll ever get. Absolutely. All right, so contact us with any questions, topics, comments, whatever. Um, and you can hit us up at... Wow, I just totally jacked that up. Comments at codingblocks.net. Comments at codingblocks.net. Yes. All right. And yeah, so send us your feedback and questions and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks. Why are you looking at me? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs)